everybody, I'm Tiffany Weber. I'm a real estate attorney in Mooresville, North Carolina at Thomas & Weber. Today, I think we've got a kind of a real estate roundup talking about a couple different things with uh, how local banks are responding to the Silicon Valley bank collapse, what you need to do if you are selling or buying property as an entity. So should we dive right in? Yeah, we get a little bit of everything. Um, you know, today we've got some some stuff with what's what's interesting in the news, you know, what people are, are asking about and also the things that people are like, well, what are you doing? And mm -hmm. so like getting started into this Silicon Valley bank thing, like I don't watch the news. So like, can you explain to people what you know? You're not a banking expert. You don't know. <laughs> there are much smarter people yeah. on the internet who have explained how this went down, but the the most oversimplified explanation is that Silicon Valley Bank kind of experienced the classic run on the bank. So people started getting afraid due to some actions that were occurring at the bank. So they all went to withdraw their money and banks don't keep everybody's money in the vault. So when everybody when everybody started withdrawing their money, it quickly led to their collapse. I think in as little as 48 hours that happened from the first signals of distress to when you know the Fed had to come in and take over. It's like 48 hours. Yeah, and like I talked to our financial guy. I don't know what to call him. Is he a financial advisor? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, him, that's that's exactly our, what he The money man. <laughs> you know, I talked to the money man. And he said the, the interesting thing about that bank is that they had a ton of startups in there. They had a ton of crypto people in there. And so when crypto, which has not been doing the greatest for the past year or so those people needed money and so when they needed money they went in and they withdrew money and when they kept withdrawing and withdrawing money the bank ran out of the money because you know like if you don't know banks lend out money and so like they don't keep it all so mm -hmm. sometimes it's being lent out that's going to get paid back to them um you know and if you want to go out and pull your your money out like if everybody pulls their money out, they probably don't have all that money, which is exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the um, key reasons for the distress was that Silicon Valley Bank, unsurprisingly in Silicon Valley, had high number of startups as their customer base. I got a call, I guess, what, the collapse happened on Friday. I and mean, then Saturday morning. We have a lot of local banking relationships. That's kind of the the thing in real estate is you you need the local banking relationships, but also it's kind of normal for real estate closing attorneys in our area to work with the smaller local banks because of responsiveness, um, the, the level of customer service that you get that you do not always get with the larger banks. I'm not suggesting that you can't get great customer service at the larger banks. It's just that sometimes real estate needs to move really quickly and you can get better results moving quickly with the local bank that knows you. And when you pick up the phone and call, they're like, oh, yeah, this is Thomas and Weber. We got to get on this. Um, so Cliff Harbor or <laughs> Cliff Harbor, Cliff Honeycutt at Blue Harbor Bank called me on Sunday to explain that, you know, a lot of the local banks were meeting all weekend because until um, the news on Monday that all of the depositors at Silicon Valley Bank would be made whole, everyone was very fearful that they needed to pull out anything over $250,000 in the accounts and move them 
move the money elsewhere. Well, what's so, up with this $250,000 number for people that don't quite get it? That's the amount that is insured. So your insured deposits, if your bank fails and you have um, $250,000 and $1 in the bank, then the 250000 is insured. You will be made whole on that. And the $1, it's anybody's guess whether you will. So that left a lot of uncertainty and, you know, people potentially making moves to go to these all, all these other banks and start withdrawing their money, which could have led to like national banking failures. Uh, but a lot of these local banks are meeting on the weekend to say, all right, one, let's talk about our financial position. How do we help our customers understand um, that we are financially sound? And then they started calling people. And um, I got a call from Cliff Honeycutt, and he was explaining that they're very diversified, unlike how Silicon Valley Bank was, you know, a lot of their business was in tech and startups, whereas, you know, the these local banks, they're very diversified in their branches of business. And he said, we could have, you know, multiple of these uh, sectors of ours fail and still be fine. Mm -hmm. uh, so he said, any of your clients or customers or anybody that you know that needs more information on this, have them call us. We love talking about this. It's one of the things that makes us happy about our bank is that we've that's got why we like to work with the local bank because you can call and ask a question right then and mm -hmm. get I mean, Cliff's pretty high up there. Yeah. So, you know, certainly that helps a lot. It definitely has made things interesting from closings because we have had some buyers be affected by this. Mm. So their money was tied up in Silicon Valley Bank. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So, for example, there was a closing last week where the buyer's funds were deposited with Silicon Valley Bank. They're supposed to close. I think it was Thursday. The money wasn't going to be available on Thursday. They were going to be made whole. They were going to receive their funds, but not on that date. So then it affects, okay, well, did their rate, was their rate lock going to expire with their loan? Were they going to be in breach of contract for failing to close on time? And then also people um, sending their funds to us. They, you know, most closings these days, unfortunately, it's it's over $250,000. So, you know, they're sending funds and wanting to know, all right, what's the deal with this bank I'm sending it to? Are they strong? Are they going to collapse? Or, you know, so we fielded calls from clients who wanted to know more information about their options for sending their funds. We've also directed them, hey, if, if you want, we can get you on a call with somebody at Blue Harbor that can talk you through um, but, you know, it's just something that we're having to deal with until everybody kind of feels secure and settled here. And in real estate, it's, you know, if you read the Good Fund Settlement Act, we have to have all of the funds in our trust account to be able to disperse. It is really not feasible to have an infinite number of trust accounts that each hold $250,000 that we cobble together for each closing. I feel like that would be a nightmare <laughs> to deal with. And I, I, I don't even so. know if the statute would allow it. I'd have to go back and read it. But even if it did, I, I don't think it would be taken kindly to with the, the trust accounting people at the bar. So um, it just, it's, un, it's unfortunate. We're dealing with it and we're moving forward, hopefully. Yeah. Moving past the gloom and doom yeah, <laughs> um, into a little more of an exciting topic today, which is kind of real estate investing. You know, we're talking about purchasing a home or purchasing a property with an entity, you know, mistakes people make and the documents that they need. So I know nothing about this other than we have two entities that we own two properties with. That's about the extent of my knowledge. Why? I don't know. Why didn't we put them in the same one? I don't know. That's why you're here to tell us. <laughs> That's why we're talking about this. And it is primarily going to focus on if you are buying or selling out of an entity, what documents do you need? 
And specifically, let's start with LLCs, limited liability companies. And remember, I'm a North Carolina attorney, so I'm talking about North Carolina and buying and selling in North Carolina. So if you're saying, well, that's not how we do it in Kentucky, yes, you're right. Uh, But in North Carolina, when you file an LLC, you get something called the Articles of Organization. And that's kind of your proof that you filed the entity with the Secretary of State. And then our North Carolina Secretary of State website shows whether you're active, um, whether you've been dissolved, are you up to date on your um, annual reports, et cetera. So a lot of times our our closing paralegals will be asking buyers and sellers, hey, we need your organizational documents. We need um, your articles. We need your operating agreement. We need your resolution for the sale, et cetera. And they just keep getting the same one document over and over again. Which is probably just their the LLC. articles and yeah. organization. Like we is tried to you need? form an LLC. That is one of the things we need, uh, and that that's also the thing that if in North Carolina we can easily get on our you know if we have to go looking for it we can get it on our own. We also need if you're an LLC your operating agreement, which is the it lays out who has the authority to sign on behalf of the company. The articles don't do that. The articles, you don't even have to list all the members on the articles of organization. So like, for example, in one of our LLCs, I'm pretty sure we were both listed as members, but I didn't have to do that. I could have just listed myself as the organizer, signed it. Should have. And nobody would know that. (laughs) Me either. Nobody would know. (laughs) It would have been great. Uh, So when it comes time for us to buy or sell in those entities, then there's no way to know from the articles who are the members, who has the authority to sign. Uh, does the manager have only limited authority that has to be voted on by the members? Does the man is it more than one manager? Um, you know, what's the essentially the lay of the land of what is what are you allowed to do? It would be like um, if we were selling our house right now, mm-hmm. and I showed up to the closing and said, "Oh, I'm allowed to sign for Ryan." And they were like, well, where's the power of attorney? Oh, I don't, I don't need, Uh, I'm I'm his wife. I can sign. That's just me. I'm Um, good. I don't think it works like that. There needs to be something legally binding that says The articles are like the marriage certificate, like just proof that you're married. It doesn't mean that you can sign. So the power of attorney is what proves that. Mm. Um, So that's, that's one way that I like to think of it is it's like, it's essentially what proves who is, who owns the company uh, and then who's allowed to bind the company. So if you don't have the operating agreement, you're like, well, I never needed it before, probably because you were not borrowing money, buying or selling property. So without any way to know, you know, who you are and what you're allowed to do, unfortunately, the closing attorney can't just rely on your word, especially even more so if you're not even on the articles. <laughs> so that makes it even more confusing. So you have to have the operating agreement and then Whenever you're selling, there's going to be a resolution saying, yes, we, the members, have agreed that we're going to sell the property. And then the manager, you know, we affirm everything that the manager has done with respect to selling the property so far. So we affirm the contract. We affirm, you know, any of the the deed, whatever has been signed. Um, We agree to this action. Yes, we're moving forward. Now, one other thing, um, other documents you might need if you are specifically selling or buying in a commercial context. Uh, We don't often need these in residential in North Carolina because it's pretty much always North Carolina entities that we're dealing with in our office. So we're able to go view these documents and get satisfied that the company is in good standing. 
But if you are, you know, an out of state company, then the closing attorney is going to need to know, is this company authorized to do business in North Carolina? And if you are transacting, real, really buying and selling real estate is doing business in North Carolina. So, you know, do you have the certificate of authority or good standing to prove that uh, one, you're authorized to do business in North Carolina, but then in your state, are you in good standing in the state that you were formed in? So those are some other things that might come up in a closing. So um, we had someone in the comments here say that they bought a condo and formed an LLC just before to limit their um, uh, liability on many levels. So I guess that's a good kind of segue into why would you form an LLC versus just trying to purchase something in your in your name? Well, it goes back to the, the name of the entities or the, the name of the type of entity, limited liability company. So you're able to use this as a, a sort of liability shield. It's kind of like you you put your shield up and the, the company acts for you. Uh, so that means you can't use the company as like your personal piggy bank, you know, things like that, because that can take your shield away. There's a lot of things that you could do to pierce the corporate veil. But if you are employing your LLC correctly, then it can limit your liability and prevent, you know, say you get a judgment against you, it could prevent uh, someone coming after your individual assets. So, you know, the they would kind of be limited to, limited to recovery of the assets of the LLC. Um, so that kind of leads into like the discussion of, well, do you put one property per LLC? Do you put all of your properties in one LLC? That's a little bit outside of the scope of the discussion today because there's pros and cons and you know you need to loop in your accountant and insurance professional for all of that. But yeah, so it's, it's really just a way to, especially if you're gonna have tenants, um, you're not gonna be living there as your primary residence to limit your liability in case you are sued or something bad happens on the property. Well, great. I think that's uh, where we would wrap up our podcast. We're speaking, yeah. oh, tell them about your speaking thing. We're both oh, speaking. Yeah. Um, super I don't excited know the about details. this. I'm just showing up. So, so Real Broker has invited us to speak at an event on Wednesday at Cabarrus Brewing from 10 to 4. Cabarrus Brewing. 10 a.m. I 10 think to it's four, yeah. So there's several panels. Um, it's how to recession proof your business is the focus of it. Um, so lots of speakers about um, well. Thanks, Kyle. <laughs> creating your story brand, uh, which Ryan loves. There's a story brand certified speaker that's going to be there. I think she's the keynote. And then we're each on separate panels. Too much Weber for one panel. They couldn't put us together. Cool. Well, Tiff, as always, it was my pleasure. My pleasure too. We'll see you guys next time. All right. <laughs> Bye, guys.